Miss Sharma. Miss Edwina. Sharma. Not the sister. Miss Edwina will suffice. I see you've left off Lord Bridgerton. Oh, now he is what Edwina is looking for. An oversight on your part, my dear. Lord Bridgerton is quite adept at conveying false first impressions. What did you hear? He stated rather clearly that he seeks a wife only to fulfill his duty and in fact does not believe in love at all. It is only out of the greatest love of my family that I aim to choose a bride with my head and not my heart. And do you find this unusual? Most marriages of the ton are in fact mere matters of business, my dear. Matters that have been working for centuries. It is the true love match that is quite rare. Does Mr. Duina return your affection? Not yet. She would have done if it were not for the, the sister. She's rather thorny, I take it. Indeed. Hello, everybody. My name is Bradley, and welcome back into another episode of Let's Dive Deep. Today, we are diving deep into the hit Netflix series Bridgerton by taking a look at the second episode of season two entitled Off to the Races. As always, Let's Dive Deep contains adult content. However, this episode of Bridgerton is pretty okay. I'm sure they won't all remain that way, but hey, it's Let's Dive Deep, so there's probably going to be some adult content. So if you're planning on listening to this in the car with kids around, just know that we here at Let's Dive Deep do not recommend that. This episode of Let's Dive Deep also does not contain any spoilers past Season 2, Episode 2 of Bridgerton. However, if you are listening to this as a repeat viewer, I would like to amend this policy a little bit. Part of doing this podcast in the second season of Bridgerton is that it's an already established show that's very, very widely popular. And I kind of Google it and talk about it and, you know, type hashtag Bridgerton into my computer and my phone all the time. And what's happening is that unlike Season 1, where it was a new show that I was doing a podcast on, with Season 2... I'm just finding it much, much harder not to be spoiled on some of the events of the season. So just know that I have been spoiled on some of the events of the season. I have not gone and watched the episodes yet. I will let you know if I go and actually watch ahead. I am a little bit worried that if I get spoiled on too much, that'll just ruin it for me. And I'd rather be spoiled by the show if I'm going to be spoiled at all. But as of right now, I've not watched past season two, episode two. However, I have been spoiled on some things. So if I feel, if I appear to be a little extra clever or my guesses are a little more on on top of things or I'm kind of directing the show in a way that makes sense for future episodes that's because I unfortunately did get a little bit spoiled I don't mind that that's totally fine Bridgerton is not a show that I'm super upset to be spoiled with and also a lot of the things I, I kind of knew were going to happen at some point yesterday or uh, anyway and just didn't know how it was going to happen so just just for transparency if I seem a little more on top of things in terms of appearing to know what's going to happen in the future that's because I kind of am however I will do my absolute best to not do any spoilers past the episode that we're talking about on the podcast. And finally, before we get started today, if you are enjoying this podcast, which I assume you are because we are on season two of the show and people have been, if you're listening to episode two, you're probably a repeat listener. Make sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you are listening to this because those auto downloads, you know, sometimes they'll down, sometimes they'll download it offline automatically as well. That's awesome. Uh, feel free to leave five-star reviews wherever you are as well. That helps the podcast get to more people. Almost all podcast, you know, uh, dispersion throughout people's lives is through five-star reviews and word of mouth so if you want to do either of those two things that would be very helpful we also have a facebook group where you can chat about the show and we have discussion threads over there for each episode of this season we also talk about the other let's dive deep things harry potter hamilton the witcher whatever it is you're into we also talk about all kinds of pop culture things over on the facebook group even if we don't do a deep dive on them so that is in the show notes below it's totally free and everything just a normal facebook group we also have a patreon that starts at a couple bucks a month just you know not not much more than a cup of 
coffee and that helps you know pay for the hosting fees and those types of things uh, for extra content on there in exchange for your hard-earned dollars there's early access to all the deep dive episodes there's the occasional bonus episode there's access to the show notes so that's all over there if you want to kind of become a patron of the podcast and, and get a, a little bit of extra bonus features in exchange for a small small amount of financial support otherwise i think that's it that's all let's dive deep into bridgerton my apologies i cannot do this I cannot claim these words as my own. They're someone else's entirely. Truth be told, I'm not... I'm not a man of poetry. And words of flattery are beautiful and sweet, but they are also hollow, unless accompanied by action. Miss Edwina, I could stand here and pretend to be someone I am not. I could pretend to want the very same things as you, but I would be lying. I may not be able to offer the display of passion that you truly deserve. But I assure you that when it comes to action and duty, I shall never be found lacking. And I hope that is what will speak louder than any pretty words ever can. Season 2, Episode 2, Off to the Races, written by Chris Van Dusen, directed by Trisha Brock. I liked the title of this episode. It's not really, you know, blowing me away or anything. It's a good title for this episode, just normal. We're going to the races. It's entitled Off to the Races. Perfect. Uh, episode 1, being titled Capital R Rake, though, I, I forgot to do it in the podcast. I really didn't like that title. I don't know how many of you listen to this podcast for my title reviews. Uh, I would care a lot more about the Capital R Rake title if it actually mattered, and if being a rake didn't immediately just go away the second you are a super wealthy Bridgerton like I get the sense that being a rake is something that people say is very bad and like to gossip about in Lady Whistledown but isn't actually something that ever really holds you back you know the Duke was described as a rake last season and he got pretty far and ended up pretty good Anthony's described as a rake this season and seems to be doing fine so far so I'm not really sure that it matters at all so I didn't really like episode one's title but this one is good this one is fine I'm giving episode two a very solid score. I think I'm kind of reaching my top end of season one here. I'm giving this an 8.2. This was a lovely episode of television. It was entertaining. It was fun. It was exciting. It, it didn't do any weird kind of boring exposition-y things. It kind of just kept the story going in a way that was fun and exciting for me. So I'm going to give it an 8.2. I think that was on the high end of my ratings for last season, and I am genuinely enjoying this season more than last season. It's only been two episodes, and if the next six suck, then obviously this season will not be as good as season one. But two, episode in, two episodes in, this is definitely an improvement on season one. So I'm not surprised to see my ratings going up to around the 8.1, 8.2 range for these first couple of episodes. And I'm going to sit at an 8.2, with my Anthony score also being... An 8.2. I enjoyed Anthony in this episode. Obviously, I talk all about it in the scene-by-scene -scene breakdown. Uh, Anthony in this episode is awesome. Just super funny, super on top of things. Kind of engaged in that battle of wills with Kate. One of the jobs this season had that was always going to be difficult for it in terms of my kind of enjoyment of the show was making Anthony an exciting character to follow even if I didn't like him or didn't agree with him that doesn't need to happen for all characters but just a character that was actually interesting to follow their story and so far they have been wildly successful in that effort I I'm super into this season so far so I'm gonna give Anthony also an 8.2 for the episode
This is also a good time to remind you to let me know what you thought of the episode. What did you like? What didn't you like? What were your scores? Let me know on Twitter and Gmail, on the Facebook group. I really want to do some listener feedback episodes. I just need to collect enough listener feedback. I am bringing on a co-host to do a kind of check-in after the first four episodes, a little mid-season check-in to see how everyone's doing to chat about a few things, and that's going to be exciting, so I'd love to have some feedback from you guys to talk about during that episode as well. So make sure you're leaving that feedback uh, wherever you can or or if you don't want to leave the feedback that that's fine too don't feel any pressure even though i would like to listen to it Uh, the things i liked for this episode i'm going to talk about this every episode it comes up i like the sets the costumes etc and the reason why i want to talk about the sets and costumes every time is the way this podcast works is i can only record it when i'm home and when i'm working i live where i work and i can't record the podcast there but i can take my notes so oftentimes i'm watching these episodes the second time and taking these notes four or five days before I'm doing the podcast and it's really hard to remember everything if you're on the patreon and looking at my notes it's hard for me to take notes detailed enough that are like kind of bringing back the entire episode to me and often what gets lost in the notes is the sets and the costumes just because I can't quite remember it properly after four or five days so I just want to call out again in this episode I enjoyed the sets and the costumes etc everything to do with that side of the development of the show I was hesitant to bring this up in season one. I'm a little hesitant again now, but I do want to bring it up to mention just one time, and that's the casting diversity. I really enjoy that Bridgerton is a show that's set in a actual time period in real life, but kind of, what's the word here? Diverts itself from that time period in a way that that is very Bridgerton-esque, but in a way that makes sense. It is not necessary for this show to be truly accurate to the time in every single way possible, and I really enjoy just how much casting diversity in their show or in this show. I really think it's important for people to be able to see themselves in the media they consume, whether that's a TV show or a movie or any other kind of it. Comic books doesn't really matter. What I, what I enjoy though, is this show just isn't exclusively white people. Uh, That's not to say there aren't a lot of white people in the show and that Bridgerton is perfect. The entire Bridgerton family, the main family of the show, is white. But within the main cast and the supporting cast and the supporting actors or the extras, there's just so much diversity. And and what I like about that is uh, it gives everyone a chance to kind of see themselves in the show and this isn't something that's perfect it's not something Bridgerton is doing perfectly however it is something Bridgerton at least appears to be really trying to do in a way that most shows don't so I don't really want to talk about it anymore because I also am a white guy who sees myself in everything I consume so it's not as big of a deal for me however I did want to call it out just because I think it's important to do I wish more shows and movies and these types of things did that kind of uh, casting and, and had this kind of diversity in the show so you can see yourself in the media you consume i'll leave the rest of that conversation for people who aren't white like me uh, to, to have but i just want to call it out it's something i noticed in season one and really enjoyed i noticed it in season two and i'm continuing to enjoy it and i think it's great that bridgerton puts an effort into making sure that there's a wide variety of of people on the show Going into the season, I wasn't really sure how I was going to feel about Kate and Anthony. I, I really thought I wouldn't like Anthony at all, and then I thought I'd love Kate, but really, it's a little more complicated, isn't it? I am loving this rivalry between Kate and Anthony so much. The only thing I don't like about it is that I know it has to kind of ruin Edwina a little bit for them to end up in love, or however that works. I kind of had all those thoughts when I watched the trailer, so we'll see how it goes from here, but at least in this episode, Kate and Anthony, they pop off the screen. They have tons of chemistry. The kind of 
rivalry between them at the horse races was the perfect place for this to come out. I am someone who grew up near a horse racing track. I also spent a lot of time in Australia where horse racing is a really big thing. And just being at those races, that's what it feels like. That's exactly what it feels like. And for all of this kind of pent up energy, this battle of wills between them to come out at the races was, was super true to me. That's exactly what it's like to be there and be super competitive with everyone. Cause everyone's got a monetary stake in it. Everyone made a bet. Everyone has a horse that they think is going to win. And I just enjoyed this episode so much for that. I also enjoyed how they both got some wins and losses. This isn't a show that's trying to say, Hey, Anthony is better. Or Hey, Kate is better. Or Hey, you need to agree with one or the other or root for one or the other. They're just showing us two cool people in a battle of wills. They're eventually going to fall in love or something. We're not sure yet, but they're just in, they're locked in that battle of wills. They can't let it go. They both do not want to be defeated by the other. And they both get some wins in this episode. Anthony gets the win early on at the races by getting Lord Lumley out of there, by getting to sit with Edwina, by kind of pulling the, the, the rug over Kate's eyes a little bit. And that was super, super well played from him. And he gets that win there. And then Kate later in the episode gets the big win when Anthony shows up like a fucking idiot with this giant ass horse for Edwina. And she gets that smug kind of smiling like, ha ha, you idiot. That was based on a fairy tale that we, we read or whatever that she doesn't like actual horses, you moron. And I just loved this battle of wills so much because they're both winning and they're both losing. And it's just so exciting to see where it's going to go from here. Rather selfishly, I also liked Lady Danbury acting as my avatar. Uh, after episode one, I, I felt that I was a little hard on Kate. I felt that like in my analysis of Anthony, I kind of upped him up a little bit and almost as if I pretended that season one didn't exist. You know what I mean? But after listening to this episode or watching this episode and having Lady Danbury say all the things to Kate that I was saying about Anthony, I, I think I think I'm kind of I'm happier now. I'm happier now that my analysis kind of within the the way that I analyzed episode one was the way the show also analyzed episode one and the way Lady Danbury is kind of voicing it into existence. And I was happy that Lady Danbury got to chat with Kate about like, hey, what did you expect coming here and doing this? And so that was awesome. Rather selfishly that Lady Danbury got to act as a, kind of my personal avatar at the beginning of this episode. And the last thing I really enjoyed, the last overall thing here is that all of the side stories are at least marginally interesting. This show is clearly taking on more of a slow burn approach to Kate and Anthony. I don't think we're going to get them like getting married in the next episode or anything. And so what I like is if I'm going to get that slow burn approach to Kate and Anthony, one of the things that means is that I have to wish for them to be on screen when they're not. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but oftentimes like nightclubs are, are, are a good example. Even if they have capacity inside, they still make people wait outside a little bit to build that tension, to build that excitement, to build that like you're standing there waiting, you're getting excited. And, and that's what they're doing with Kate and Anthony. And what I enjoy is every time they're not on the screen, I wish for them to be there, but I'm at least interested in what's going on. There's a Lady Whistledown plotline that I'm interested in. All of the other side characters, when they get their few minutes, are, are interesting and fun. And there's nothing that's popping off as like, oh, boring. I need to skip this to get back to Kate and Anthony. There's nothing that feels as poorly written as Marina's storyline did last year. And so I, I'm enjoying that the side stories are at least interesting and, and keeping my attention and not making me just want to skip back to Kate and Anthony no matter how desperately I want them to come back onto the screen.
And possibly for the first time ever, there were no kind of big overarching things I didn't like about this episode of Bridgerton. There are a few small things, a few nits to pick on a scene-by-scene -scene basis, but no big overall things that I didn't like. And hey, I'm going to be fair to the show. If there is nothing overall I didn't like, I'm not going to invent something just because I have this section of the podcast called Things I Didn't Like. So for Season 2, Episode 2, Off to the Races, there were zero big picture things that I didn't enjoy. This episode starts with a, a, a rather hilarious smash cut of Kate on one side with her list of suitors for Edwina and Anthony on the other with, with Benedict getting a shave and the line reading of, you know, I, it's out of duty for my family that I want to think with my head and not my, that line reading is great. I still wish the lines were different uh, from watching the trailer, even watching it the second and third time for this episode. There's just something that could have been funnier about that line, but that's okay. Uh, Anthony is kind of talking to Benedict about the, pr the the sister. I believe Lady Whistledown describes her as the rather prickly spinster of a sister, and Benedict's like, ah, yes, the sister. And so that's really fun that they're having that brotherly bonding moment and that this isn't the first time this has happened. There's other I get the sense there's other stories about, in quotation marks, the sister. On Kate's side of it, she's preparing a list of suitors for Edwina with Lord Lumley on the top. And it's fun. It's fun that she's completely left out Anthony. I love that so much for Kate's character. As much as I kind of I, I disagree slightly with Kate's approach here, that doesn't mean I can't enjoy the approach she's taking. And I think it's hilarious that she left Anthony completely off. You'd think that even even if you don't like the guy, he is super rich. He is the, the the most kind of eligible bachelor on the market. And you still aren't actually sure if Edwina, like she's looking for Edwina's love match. And you can't actually confirm that Edwina wouldn't love this guy. All you know is that you don't like him. And so you assume Edwina won't. And so th there's a little bit here that I just found was so funny about her completely leaving him off the list instead of just putting him right at the bottom. Lady Danbury, though, comes in hot to tell Kate what I was trying so hard to, like, scream through the monitor when I was watching this episode in episode one. It's like, what did you expect coming here? What is it that you expected? What I like about what Lady Danbury's saying is not that you shouldn't go for the love match or not that you're a bad sister for trying to find Edwina the love match that she wants. What she is saying, though, is look, 99% of the marriages here are a matter of business. 99% of these marriages uh, are, are done not for love, just for, you know, building the family name, building the family honor, expanding the family, you know, you know, climbing up the ladder, acquiring wealth. Whatever those reasons are, kind of love is at the bottom of the list, and it does happen. There are love matches, but that doesn't need to be something that, you, or that, that isn't going to be a thing that's going to be easy to find or that's common. And she also says, this has been working for a while, right? This is like this idea of just coming here and finding a love match is, is just not practical to do. It might happen and you should still try to make it happen, but you should do it with the reasonable expectation that it won't and have some sort of backup plan in case it doesn't, in which case, this is where I'm like, just put Anthony back on the list, right? Like, if, if plan A doesn't go to plan for you, Anthony does not seem to be an awful plan B at this point. And so I love that Lord, or Lord Danbury, Lady Danbury was saying kind of what I was thinking in episode one to Kate here. And we'll see going forward how, how Kate kind of takes that advice. 
There's an absolutely hilarious scene with all of these people waiting in line to call on Edwina. And I put in my notes, there's no way this many kind of rich and, and, and famous and eligible bachelor type people are going to wait in this kind of line. I like that Kate has kind of kept Lord Lumley in there. She's playing the usher, but she's artificially, you know, limited the attendance to one person for the entire day, which is just the whole situation is funny to me watching this in 2022. If I were in, the, you'd think these guys would like go for lunch, though. You'd think I okay with this long with lord lumley right we only have the afternoon right there's no way 20 of us are getting in like me and the 14 guys in front of me let's go somewhere else let's call on someone else today we'll come back tomorrow let's go and grab lunch or something i don't know but it was weird to me that that many people would wait in, in that kind of line anthony also just shows up and kind of skips the queue to go talk to kate which is hilarious and for kate this would piss her off right you see anthony come in here and he's just kind of in charge and he's just gonna skip the line and it takes quite a few minutes in this scene for another person to be like, hey, Bridgerton, no skipping the queue or whatever. Most of the guys are kind of just resigned to the fact that they're not as, as an eligible bachelor as Anthony is. And so they're like, oh, this Anthony Bridgerton guy doing this again, which I found to be just just so funny. Anthony's there with an ask. She He wants to promenade or call on Edwina or whatever it is or or, or make her or, or be his, her escort to the races. And, and Kate's like, yeah, yeah, okay. You you think I haven't sorted this out already to make sure it's not you, uh, which is just awesome organized. At least she's organized in her attempt to spurn Anthony just out of the Sharma's life. So I enjoyed that. Uh, Anthony again goes for the locker room talk defense, which I, again, I defended Anthony a little bit in the last episode i'm gonna defend him again a little bit in the next in this episode coming up here however the locker room talk defense is not okay it is not a good defense for anything if you are listening to this podcast and you find yourself saying terrible shitty things to people because you think that other people can't hear it just stop it just stop doing that it's not a good defense it's not a good reason to say shitty things just no it's not acceptable to do that Shame on you, Anthony. Over at the Bridgerton house, Penelope is there. Mama Bridgerton, her name is Violet, by the way. I, I kind of Googled all these names a little bit just so I made sure. It's Violet Bridgerton and Mary Sharma, so I wasn't calling him Mama Sharma all the time. Uh, I'm still gonna go with Mama Bridgerton, though. I like that. It's added again with Eloise. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say is added again with Eloise to 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 kind of take up every single moment where Mama Bridgerton just continues saying things like, why don't you go find a husband? Or like, what if you wore this dress to the ball? Or maybe doing this thing would make you feel differently about the social season. Just any of these things where she's clearly not uh, collecting the cues from Eloise here. I'm just going to lump into that because it's still bothering me a, a little bit. Penelope there, still talking about Lady Whistledown. You're giving away the game, darling. You're just a little too obvious. And Eloise... I think Eloise is just so lost in the sauce of trying to find out who Lady Whistledown is that she she's seeing the the she is seeing the trees instead of the forest, right? If she pulled herself out and had an overview of the forest instead of staring at each individual tree, I think she'd figure out it was Penelope. So we'll see where this goes. But man, I'm watching this going like Penelope, you're like two fucking seconds away from being caught here. Like, we need to tone it back. We need to tone it back and make it a little less obvious that you are, you are Lady Whistledown. And, and may, the problem is, 
And this is what I wanted coming into the season is that we know she's Lady Whistledown. So it seems super obvious. And you just want to shake Eloise and be like, come on, it's right there. It's so obvious. And that's the exact dynamic I really wanted for this Lady Whistledown character coming into season two is I wanted us to really sit there knowing that we were the only ones that knew and that the characters in the show didn't. So I, I'm just loving how frustrating it, frustrating it is to watch Penelope like get so close to giving it away, but not because no one in the show suspects as her. Fucking Colin just comes back from vacation. That was that was so truly funny. Colin just walks through the door and everyone's like, whoa, Colin. Penelope has this awesome line reading about Colin as well, where Eloise is like, something, something, who should I date or whatever? And she says, Colin. That was really funny. Uh, he says he returned because he missed them. And I put down in my notes, like, let's circle back to this later. Let's see why it is that Colin returned. Because I suspect... It wasn't purely out of missing uh, his, his family. <laughs> Benedict is really funny, telling Colin he needs to shave. That was awesome. Hyacinth is also there, uh, you know, poking some fun at Colin. Anthony has perfect older brother energy here. I am the oldest brother of two younger brothers, so I don't quite have the array of siblings, but this is exactly how I react to my brothers all the time. If I, if I had, like, a big thing going on, and I was trying to get married, and I was, like, worried in my own life about whatever I was doing, and my brother just, like, dropped from the clouds after, like, a year-long vacation, I would be like, oh, hey, what's up? Thanks for coming back. Like, I need your help with, like, it would just wouldn't even occur to me to just, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It makes me sound like really selfish. I think it is old. I put older brother energy there. It's not that I wouldn't eventually come around to asking about the trip, but just if in the moment, like Anthony is, I'm busy. There are things going on. There's stuff I got to do. And I just see Colin. Oh yeah, Colin. Perfect. Yep. You're back. You know, I am in this moment. We're going to the races. We need to be a family. And I appreciated that Anthony uh, had that older brother energy because I find it rather relatable if I'm being honest. The Featheringtons are having an awesome time with the new Lord Featherington. Penelope, I don't know if she seems kind of smitten with him, but at least kind of uh, admires him a little bit. That he's new, he's younger, he seems super wealthy, he's coming in here and he's changing things. And I think she enjoys that it's pissing the rest of her family off. I think she kind of digs that a little bit here in this fucking gun cabinet is on another level, man. I used to work in a hunting, fishing, camping type store. And I was never in the hunting department. It's not really my thing. I was in the camping department, which is way more my thing. Um, but I would see all these people kind of talk about hunting, buy hunting gear, all of those things. Just through that, I end up going to a lot of houses uh, of people that do go hunting and those types of things. And none of them were as rich as the Lord Featherington, but this is exactly what their houses kind of look like. You know what I mean? Just guns everywhere. There's just like all of these taxidermied heads and rugs and stuff in this gun cabinet. It's pretty, it is a pretty cool gun cabinet thing or gun display on its own. However, it just looks so out of place in that hallway that I, I just... I, as someone who's terrible with interior design, I enjoyed how how he kind of doesn't realize it looks really ugly there, but also that it pissed everyone else in the Featherington family off might be a good reason to just kind of keep it there. And there, I don't know why I like this scene so much, but there's just such a fun dynamic there with this, this stupid cabinet. We're at the races now, and this is where it gets hard to take notes when you have an extended set of scenes kind of in one location. If you're kind of looking at my show notes, you'll see kind of how I do them. These big extended scenes are a little bit harder, so I'll try my best, but if I bounce around the race, I apologize if things are a little bit out of order here. 
Sneeze and Cheese is back. Every time he makes an appearance on the screen, I'm going to type in my notes in all caps, Sneeze and Cheese, because that's hilarious. Lord Lumley is there. And one of the things we've learned about Lord Lumley so far is that he'd be great at poetry. We're actually going to get a poetry reading from him at the end of the episode. But at this point, I was kind of like, yeah, he would be a great poet. He has a great voice for kind of, you know, speaking the poetry into existence in a, in a beautiful way. Mr. Dorset comes up to talk to Kate. And this is a little bit of a surprise because, you know, Edwina is the diamond of the season. She's the one who's kind of out there doing her thing, you know, finding a suitor. And Kate is is not. And I actually want to call out something here. Someone in the Facebook group mentioned to me that, oh, I should have wrote this down. I hate when I just say somebody because the person has a name and they were genuinely helpful, but I don't have it in front of me. You know who you are if you're listening to this and you are in the Facebook group. Explain to me that, you know, Ms. Sharma for the eldest sister and Ms. Edwina Sharma for the younger is just how they would be introduced. There's no kind of, you know, kind of dig at, at Kate or anything. There's no reason to do this based on who's trying to find a husband or anything. So what I thought in last episode was kind of either a dig at Kate or a way to indicate she wasn't looking for a suitor by not giving her name that is actually just the way they do it and one of the things that i can't believe i missed this that's also how things are done in pride and prejudice which is a book i've read not recently but have read many times in the past and so just super frustrating that i didn't pick up on it but thank you lovely person in the facebook group for correcting me on that matter Later in the episode, we're going to learn that Mr. Dorset's arrival is is a play by Anthony to get Kate distracted, to distract Kate so he can spend time with Edwina, and it works like a charm. Uh, however, what I thought at the beginning was, oh, Mr. Dorset, so what I thought was going to happen is that Mr. Dorset was genuinely interested in Kate, which I actually might believe him at the end when he says it was, but she needed to be kind of opened up to love and that's where Anthony snuck in and the love triangle really began. It turns out that's not the case but at the time he arrives on screen I was like oh, okay so Kate's kind of hardened like in her shell just like not looking for a suitor and it's spending this day with Lord Lumney that kind of she enjoys it. She's like you know what this wouldn't be so bad you know Mr. Dorset's a lovely guy he's hanging out this was awesome we had a pleasant conversation I could see this happening more often I kind of enjoyed this maybe I, I thought that's what was going to happen it turns out that's not how things go at all but it was interesting i, I love trying to figure things out how they're gonna go as i watch and that was one of the things i thought was gonna happen here i also love the running tea gag where every time it's happened like three times in two episodes where every time tea gets brought up uh kate's like yeah tea here fucking sucks or anytime she needs to say something she's like yeah everything is good here but the thing i miss most is the fucking tea i just i just like that for her there's just this running gag about how bad the the tea is which is interesting because England is rather famous for their teas. So I wonder what's going on here. The Bridgertons all show up in a in an array of the same bowler hats. And these bowler hats are, I put in my notes, rad as fuck. I don't know if that's a good description of them, but it's weird to see people in bowler hats. It's weird to see people look good in bowler hats. I If I put a bowler hat on, it would be not great is is the best way to describe it absolutely awful like bleach to the eyeballs it would be the worst way to describe it i suspect it would probably sit somewhere in the middle but these guys make the bowler hats look like super cool mr mondrich shows up and he's got this red kind of maroon vest thing i don't even know what to call it it's definitely like a ye olde version of like the vests we have nowadays for for suits like the four button Kind of, I don't even know, man, but that thing was sexy. That guy, he looked good in that maroon vest thing. And he's opening a club. 
Mr. Maunders, he's taken his kind of winnings from that bet last year, the you know, the bet where he was super unethical and lost on purpose. Yeah, he's taken his winnings from that, and he's opening a club, which is super cool. We're going to learn more about this club later, but for now, that's all we know, and I think that's cool. Eloise buys a pamphlet or something from one of the uh, people that's selling things at the races, and I just put in my notes, that must be the best flea market ever. If you are in need of selling items, uh, doing it at the royal races where all of these rich people are coming in a money-spending mood, you must make an absolute fortune there. Over in the stands, Edwina's playing a little bit of a wingman for Kate, trying to get her to interact. Uh, oh, what's it? Oh, it's I already forgot his name. I all, Mr. Dorset. Trying to get her to interact with Mr. Dorset, and that's super cool. And Kate's kind of playing it back like, have you asked Lord Lumley yet about his interests? And I just like that these, it gives me a sense that these two are sisters. They're not individual. They're, they, their existence didn't happen outside of each other. This, this type of line thing, it's really small and you might miss it, but it really helps solidify really quickly in two seconds that these are sisters who care about each other. And we need to have that solidified for us. And, and doing that in like two seconds of Edwina kind of being a little bit of a wingman for her is very efficient and I enjoyed it a, a lot. Anthony approaches the stand, and this whole thing is so good. He kind of approaches and, and goes like, whoa, look at my entire giant family. How happy we are sitting over here. And Anuita instantly takes the bait, too, and it's like, oh, yeah. You know, a good family is very important. And Anthony is just kind of cakewalking this. It's so good. And then he mentions that the, um, the, the ladies don't have any refreshments, and Kate tries to kick him to go get it. And also tries to say, like, no, Lord, we don't need any refreshments are you in charge of our hydration now get out of here you presumptuous buffoon <laughs> just, this whole interaction is so good and then uh, you could tell lord lumley is intimidated by lord bridgerton and wants to prove himself so he takes the bait even worse and goes oh yes of course i shall go get these refreshments and then leaves and anthony sneaks in right next to edwina and that is incredible and even later when he comes back <laughs> When he comes back, uh, Lord Lumley sits on the other side of Edwina, but Anthony just gets to like stick right there and just, you know what? I didn't think I was going to like Anthony and I'm not sure I'm sold on him as like a person yet. However, I'm definitely sold on him as a character because this shit is hilarious. I love this whole interaction so much. Colin and Penelope have a moment that I just wrote down. This is very cute. If I do have like one ship for the series so far, just by watching the show, it's definitely Colin and Penelope. They look just, they just look adorable together. Uh, uh, man, I just, uh. but Eloise comes along and ruins it. I put in my notes in all caps, Eloise, not now. This is cute. Come on. Uh, so, you know, poor showing from Eloise kind of taking her out of that moment. Cause I was just enjoying, I just like Bridgerton for that, for the, the relationships and just the Colin and Penn one is fascinating to me and I was kind of enjoying that moment uh, a, a little bit for Eloise here she's talking oh Eloise kind of sounds I, I can't remember exactly what she's talking about here but if you were in the Regency era her kind of way she's trying to find Lady Whistledown I put must sound insane it must sound absolutely insane that Eloise is taking this, because everyone else is just reading this for gossip. Every other person is just reading this for gossip. The only people that seem to care about finding the author are the Queen and Eloise. And Eloise must sound crazy to everybody else, but also it's very helpful for Penelope to hide things. I think Penelope is giving away the game a little too much. However, Eloise just isn't, again, she's kind of in the forest staring at the tree instead of looking at the broader picture, which is helping Penelope out a bit. So this relationship of trying to find Lady Whistledown is just fascinating to watch. 
I am a super sports nerd. I love sports, all of them. I watch tons of soccer. Uh, you go Man United, even though we're having a rough season. That's my team. I watch tons of ice hockey because I'm Canadian. I watch tons of baseball, watch tons of basketball. I watch a lot of sports. I talk about a lot of sports. I'm just a sports person. And part of being just a sports person is getting into the stats and the pools and the betting and the... Um, and you know those what are they called the um oh, oh my how am i forgetting what they're called the things that you do at the beginning of a season where you and your friends get together and you draft players and you oh i can't remember what they're called this is so embarrassing feel free to unsubscribe from this podcast or just yell at me for not really being a sports person and just pretending i can't remember what that's called anyways i look at a lot of sporting stats throughout my day-to-day life and i found that this conversation about the horses to be between kate and anthony just refreshingly sexy this would be the night i i said in the last episode the the kind of subtle thing that was really attractive was the heart player in this episode it's kind of talking about sports stats if i was if i was at the races and I, I just sat next to an attractive woman, you know, someone that would potentially, this could be a, a dating thing going forward. And we immediately got into a heated argument about whether the horse would do well based on the terrain or the type of training or the type of food it ate or those types of kind of in the weeds stat stuff. You know, I'm going to call them like sports ball kind of nerd stuff. That is just, I found this scene to be like, oh, that's, I was like, that's attractive. This is the most attractive thing in this season so far as arguing about the horses and like the track and the whatever oh so good lady danbury and mama bridgerton have a conversation that goes something like man it seems like anthony's super set against a love match and i'm it's shocking to me that none of these people understand anthony at all like a- anthony is he's not the most layered character but when it comes to love and duty and whatever he definitely has layers and they are rather obvious and so it's just weird to me that everyone's like yeah he definitely doesn't want a love match and to be fair that is what he's saying out loud but it's so clear he's overcompensating and just like we talked about in the last episode just kind of emotionally withdrawing himself in order to do it just for duty and it's so obvious to me it's weird that they haven't picked up on it uh, yet but that's crazy <laughs> this is where he comes back and doesn't even have to leave which is which is hilarious the race starts and anthony and and kate start kind of yelling and screaming and cheering again i'm finding this all very attractive i put in my notes cue my mom yelling you don't you know they can't hear you right as i watch hockey very much as a kid when i would watch kind of hockey in the living room and my mom was around she would be like yeah be yelling at the tv and she'd be like you know they can't hear you right and that's exactly what was happening here the other people around seem to be like is this okay should we allow this to happen to which i say yes you should this is awesome lord lumley continues to be be just very oblivious or not it's such a weird man it's such a weird dynamic these gentlemen have to go through because they know they're all trying to achieve the same thing in marrying edwina but they have to be respectful to each other in the process it's really weird and lord lumley just like strikes me as someone who's intimidated but also understands what's happening but also is powerless to do anything about it which is strange the the horse race ends the race ends and kate is the winner kate wins the actual race here i think anthony wins the races because this little bit of tomfoolery is awesome um but kate says beating you feels like any other win but somehow smells sweeter and just oh oh just i just put it into my veins this is awesome uh, and, and kate you know what she analyzed the field she she went with the underdog uh, she didn't just bet for the favorite because everyone else is doing it and she came out on top here what a what a win for kate
it then gets revealed that the why can't i remember his name lord oh my goodness i'm scrolling back up my notes mr dorset lord lord dorset it's been revealed now that this is a trap sprung on kate by anthony to allow him to spend more time with edwina and i put in my notes i need to have a stand here part of this podcast is i need to take a side i i understand where both are coming from i'm still with anthony here I think Kate is going too hard, too fast at just not even giving Anthony a chance. And when Anthony says, hey, I I meant no harm. I only did to spend more time with you. I'm going to take his side on this one because that is the whole point of the, this is the game. And Kate came and, and wasn't expecting to have to play the game, but the game is being played regardless. And Anthony is just playing it. And I find this to be, well, not the most tasteful move, well within the, in quotes, rules of the game of the social season. Look, Kate's going to be a roadblock. He needs to get around the roadblock. He wants to spend time with Edwina. What's he going to do? Distract Kate. I think that's fair enough. It's not elegant. It's not pretty. It's, it's not completely fair. But I would argue that Kate kind of dismissed, I'm going to say, and I put in my notes, like, blah, 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 if you set someone up to fail. I know that was a big thing with Daphne in episode six of last season. If you set people up to fail, they will fail. And you cannot be surprised when they do that. When When Kate set Anthony up to have to do this, you cannot be surprised when he does it. If you immediately just dismiss him as an option, right, but you know he's still going to want to at least talk to Edwina, call on Edwina. Her easiest way out of this is to let him do that and have Edwina not like him. But she doesn't want to go that route because she thinks Edwina might, and she doesn't like Anthony. So instead, she goes this whole fucking roundabout way of just dismissing him, leaving him, leaving him off guest list, leaving him off the invite list later. And so when you do that, when you set Anthony up like that, she threw the basketball up. Anthony's just alley-ooping it. And so I think that's fair enough for Anthony. I don't fully agree with it, but if I had to pick a side here, Kate set Anthony up to have to do this, and then Anthony did it. And you know, there's no harm, no foul. This is the game they're all playing. And I think I think I think this is well within the the rules here. We had a quick scene of Eloise and the printers. <laughs> this is this is just fun for Eloise. Eloise is just having a time. She's talking about the rights of woman, or yeah, she says the rights of woman. I don't know if that was like a bad line reading, if it was meant to be the rights of women, or if that's just how it would have been said in the Regency era. But hey, that's all good. It just kind of threw me off when I wrote my notes. She says, are you shocked that I'm well-read and articulate? And the carriage guy, who didn't even want to be there in the first place, kind of has a chuckle as well. Seems kind of proud. Like, yeah, those are the fucking Bridgertons that I do the carriages for. They don't put up with shit from any kind of commoner printer peasant man. And that was just so, so good. I love this scene as well. It's 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 furthering the plot line of Eloise trying to find out who Lady Whistledown is by trying to go to the printer and i this this guy this this um this uh this person at the uh, printer shop it looks a little interesting we'll see we'll see i want like yeah one wonders if he'll come back into the picture because he seemed a little bit more to me than just a one-off character it seems like this guy is going to be pretty important on eloise's quest to find lady whistledown so we'll see how things go from here when I did my instant reaction to this episode, we get Sneeze and Cheese's wedding now uh, to one of the Featherington sisters. And I put in the in the instant reaction that this wedding must have been small because of COVID. I wasn't sure what the COVID restrictions are at the time of filming, but I thought, hey, they're going to look for scenes to have minimal amounts of people. They just did this big one at the races with lots of people. That must have been very difficult with the COVID rules, or they CGI'd a lot of the, the people in there. They have a lot of promenades with a lot of people. And so, you know, I put here, this must be one of the scenes that 
they kind of cut back just for restrictions. However, the better theory came up on um, Facebook. And I don't know if this was straight from the books or whatever. If you don't identify your theory as something from the books, I'll just assume you haven't read the books or whatever. But it was explained to me in the Facebook group that this wedding was small because they have no money. And I thought, wait a second, why? This new guy came and he's not, he's super wealthy, right? Dun, dun, dun. Because then we get the line, hey, you made sure the dowry was paid, right? And there's a little bit of a question mark here. So we might be back into the world of the Featheringtons not having a lot of money. I thought that ship had sailed. I thought this guy came in, he has loads of money. Where do we go from here? But we might be back to square one with them not having money. And I think that's that's interesting. Mama Featherington trying to save herself here. She doesn't want to be kicked out. She doesn't want some ditzy harlot to be marrying the new Lord Featherington that's not going to like her. So she's trying to be involved in, in the Featherington plans as an ally, which isn't going well. Also, I don't know if she's the kind of person you want to have in your plans. She She seems like someone who will just kind of look out for herself and not for you, which is not the kind of person you want to have involved with plans that heavily involve you and your well-being. But Lady Varley, or Varley, she wouldn't be a lady. Varley here, <laughs> she's kind of smitten with the new lord and says, he does have a pleasing smile, which is, <laughs> which, which offends Mama Featherington to a high degree. And <laughs> she doesn't like that at all. But it was just such a funny little moment. Bridgerton's so good at all of these funny, like tiny little moments, man. That, that made me crack up. That was awesome. We move on to the palace now with the queen. We got Edwina there. We got Kate there. We got Lady Danbury there. Edwina saying what I'm saying. There are so many avatars for Bradley in this TV show. <laughs> if you had just given him a better option, if you just let him talk to me, he wouldn't have done that. And to which I wrote in my notes, if you set people up to fail, blah, blah, blah. But that's still how I feel about it. So you know what, Edwina? I am on your... I went into the season thinking I would be Kate number one cheerleader. I'm not quite yet. I, I get where she's coming from. And I get it, but I don't know if I agree with it. And Edwina here saying what I'm saying. So good work, Edwina. You know, you're on team. Let's dive deep. I like that. Uh, zebras are just rad. I don't know why I put that in my notes, but they're cool. They're obviously CGI'd, but hey, they're cool. Uh, <laughs> um, the queen comes and, and tries to tell Edwina... Like, hey, if anyone comes to talk to you, if anyone seems a little suspicious, like they're digging for too much gossip, you know, let me know. Clearly, rather obviously, trying to get her to be on the lookout for Lady Whistledown. Lady Danbury calls us out like, hey, wait a second. Did you only pick her to be the diamond because she wasn't here last season and it would be easier to find out Lady Whistledown? And then the queen says, now, now, you relish this frivo frivolity nearly as much as I do. And I... What I like about this line is it, it sums up a problem or it addresses a problem I had up until this point, which is, does the queen not have anything better to be doing with her time than this? But she, she admits that she just relishes the frivolity. And now that she's admitted it and said it out loud, I can be okay with that. I, this, is just, this is just your hobby. I get it now. Okay, I just wanted someone to admit it. So that's cool. And yeah, Lady Danbury should not be offended if that's the reason why. Also, it was her recommendation to pick Edwina anyway to shake things up. So if Lady Danbury's mad that the queen picked Edwina for... for not purely that she would be the best diamond reasons. That, that, get out of here, Lady Danbury. You're, you're, like the Queen said, you relish this frivolity as well. The main three Bridgerton bros decide to go fencing. We got Colin, we got Benedict, and of course we have Anthony. One of the, I have kind of a headcanon for how this scene started. I imagine Anthony was mad, like walked into the house and started hitting shit with his sword. And Benedict and Colin had to tell him like, okay, calm down. Yep, we're going to go outside. We're going to do some fencing. Let's go all, they have these, like these sport outfits that kind of look like 
they're kind of diaper colored it is kind of weird but they got these like sporting outfits like okay anthony calm down we're gonna go put the outfits on we're gonna go outside and you can like hit us with your sword a whole bunch of times i just i just like this moment because it's so clear that anthony is just using this as a stressful stress release and that benedict and colin are, are letting him beat them down a little bit just to kind of let him get it all out and one of the things i enjoyed about this scene was what Anthony had to say about the obstacles. So this this keeps getting framed by the show as a game, right? Like we're playing a game and I need to win the game. And if I don't win, that means Kate has won the game. There's no nuance to it. It's just a battle of wills. Me versus Kate. I need to beat Kate to get to Edwina. If I can do that, then I will get Edwina. He doesn't even think really much farther than that. If I can beat Kate, if I can get the sister out of the way, then I can get to Edwina. He, he's so rattled he has to stop fencing at some point but what i what i think he says here makes a lot of sense and he's kind of rationalized that there's always going to be a sister or a dad or a brother or a somebody in the way no matter who i decide to make my bride there's some somebody's going to be in the way there will be something to overcome and in this case it's kate and and this is him doing out loud what i said he was doing in the last episode where he's disassociating himself personally with it so that he can do it out of duty instead of love. And part of that is to like walk around hitting your brothers with a fucking sword and going, this is a game I need to win. If I can get past Kate, then I can get to Edwina and then I have won. There's nothing else. There's no emotion. There's no love. There's no nothing. I just need to beat her to get to the final prize. That's what I'm going for. If and it, Which isn't even true, right? Because like he is the most eligible bachelor. He wouldn't have these obstacles with, with anybody else, I don't think. Right? But the, he is just, there's always an obstacle. There's always something to push through to jump over to move around or whatever and i liked him doing this out loud and i th thought fencing was a great way to frame this whole thing he marches off from fencing to go and claim his final victory which i know is not true because this show is eight seasons and this is episode two so when he brought a horse i put in my notes lam how did he fucking bring a horse you just know that that is, is not going to work uh, kate comes out and he comes out and kind of accosts Anthony for the whole wool over the eyes thing at the races. And Anthony says, it's because you gave me no other choice, Kate, which is, you know, fair enough. You know, I've already taken my side on that. Fair enough. And now Kate says, and now you question my judgment. And it's like, come on, Kate, 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 Kate. I'm trying to root for you here, and you are very close, right? Like, I came into this season not digging Anthony all that much, so I should be on your side. But we just got to pull it back a tad. You just got to put it back attack because when Anthony says, you don't even know me, that is so true. It's like, like, like ugh. the problem is Anthony is right. And that's the problem here. Not fully right. It's still kind of in the gray. But if anyone's right here, it's Anthony. And that just bugs me because I would rather root for Kate here. And it's just, and it's kind of like, oh, what what's it like? Um, Yeah, I don't... I'm trying to think of a situation off the top of my head, but that now you question my judgment line just stuck out to me as like super unfair. Like, okay. Right. Like that's just not, that's just not true. That's just not really what happened here. He didn't come here to question your judgment. He just said a true thing. Like you blocked me from talking to Edwina. So that's what I had to do to talk to her. And so I did it, which I, again, fair enough. And so Kate just, ugh, just needs to pull it back just a tad here. Again, I, I don't, dislike that this is happening in the show because it makes for a better show but i'm just it gets frustrating to watch because you want to root for kate so badly and she just doesn't quite let you 
Anthony also mentions a lot of the same things that were talked about by Lady Danbury at the beginning of the episode. And I really love the you don't even know me thing. Like, ask me some questions. Talk to me. Like, let's go on a promenade or something. Like, you have no idea who I am. And what you overheard, again, the locker room talk defense is not good. However, what is fair in that situation is like, that was, you've heard me speak 20 words in my entire you know, in our entire existence at that party. And the context of that matters. And so, like, like just let's chat. Let's talk. Let's do, like, uh, the Kate just frustrates me here. But Anthony's saying all of the same things Lady Danbury did. Like, look, like, I am the most eligible bachelor. Everybody else wants the kind of marriage that I am offering. And Kate's just not accepting that, which she probably shouldn't with her character. But it's also kind of frustrating to watch because it doesn't mean it's not true. Uh, because like two things can be true at the Kate's at the same time. Kate is looking out for her sister and doesn't need to accept Anthony purely because he's kind of the well-known best option. That is not a good enough reason to accept Anthony. Certainly not a good enough reason to dislike him either, right? However, that doesn't mean it's not true. The kind of marriage he's offering is undoubtedly one of the best possible offers on the market. And one of the things I said in the first episode, Anthony's comments were insensitive. That he just wants, you know, a, a, a someone who's pretty, who can have lots of kids, yada yada, and that's what most people are, are looking for. But what he's not saying is that he wants to mistreat somebody. What he's not saying is that he wants to have a wife that he can just simply ignore and never talk to, right? He just doesn't want the, the love. But what he's offering is a pleasant existence. He's not offering this unpleasant, abusive, like, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I'm not in this for the love, I'm in this for the duty. However, with regard to my duty and my honor, whoever is my wife will be treated well, will have lots of money, will live in a nice home, can go to all these balls with new dresses. There's that one club for all the wives who kind of ignore their husbands. She's probably cool with her going there. I just don't... Kate's trying to make Anthony out as this, like, super prude, which is not what he's saying. Like, that's not what he's trying to get across. And so this battle between them is fascinating because there's multiple sides here. But I think in this scene, again, I'm giving Anthony the W here. I think he's more right than Kate is. To prove my point too, he even says something that I just simply agree with. You have been exceptionally clear what it is you do and do not want, but has it ever occurred to you that you are, has it ever occurred to you that this might be in fact about what your sister wishes for instead? Which is like A plus, like, let me talk to her. Maybe she won't like me, right? Like the quickest way for Kate to get through this is to let Anthony go in there and fuck it up, right? Which he proves in this scene he's capable of doing. Right? Like, I don't, like, that is the quickest way to do this. But instead, she insists on standing in, in the way. And that, mm. anyways, let's move on to this. He brings a fucking horse. This is hilarious. Kate gets her next win here. Because <laughs> he says, I thought you said you liked animals. And she, and Edwina's like, oh, yeah, I do. But more of the, the, the kind that fit in your lap. Just a big, like, womp. <laughs> womp, womp, womp. Because this horse is giant. And this is a fucking expensive horse, man. Like, the, these things do not come cheap. And then he says, okay, but I thought you said you liked horses, specifically one that looks like the, the horse that was on the, the tracks. And, and uh, Kate's like, that was, from, that was from a book that we read. That was from a fairy tale. And to be fair to Anthony, he, he needed to ask more questions. But based on specifically the things that were said out loud, I can kind of see how he got confused here. That does not make it any less hilarious that he brought this horse and completely embarrassed himself in front of Kate and Edwina here. I also noted down what I believe is the first look of love 
from Anthony towards Kate. It's on the way out. I can't remember exactly what the situation is, but suddenly he like just kind of looks back at Kate, almost like, okay, we're playing now, but now it's, it's you that I like. There's something about you that I'm liking in this situation. So I just wanted to mark down the moment that I first kind of thought for, for each of these characters, like when do they fall in love with each other? Right, because we know that has to happen based on the whole point of the season, and so I think this is—I think this is the first moment where Anthony looks at Kate as more than a rival and kind of is attracted a little bit. Like, oh, okay, I admire someone who's playing the game this way. I like you. I like you for this. That we're playing the—that in this battle of wills, I think he finds that kind of sexy, and I, the, the look that he gives on the way out kind of indicates that to me. So this is my first marker of when Anthony kind of starts falling for Kate a little bit more. We move over to Mondridge's club really quick. I'm sure this will come up again, but for right now, this place looks really fucking cool. I don't know how much money he won in the bet, but hes it's a lot of money. What a great idea for a club, too. A little more modern, you know, any man, any man of, like, good spirits or whatever. He says any honest man can come in here and, and, and join the club. It's not just for the rich aristocrats. But you know what, Mondridge? That's good for you, which makes sense because he's not one of the rich aristocrats. So that makes a lot of sense. And then we get a quick reminder of the bet he took a quick little reminder like hey this how in case you haven't watched season one it wasn't exactly you know so smooth how mondrich got the money to build this club i don't i do like though that it doesn't bore you with it it's like hey if you want to find out the full details you got to go back and watch season one but if you haven't watched season one all you need to know is like he didn't exactly come across this money in the most honest of ways this is mark number two, where Anthony kind of falls in love for Kate. We're at the Bridgerton house. We're getting ready for the soiree. There's going to be a soiree at the Danbury house. Lady Danbury thinks it's a good idea. They're going to do poetry reading that the men are going to fuck up and do their weird hula hooping bullshit. However, uh, Anthony's not invited. And when Anthony finds out he's not invited, it's so funny. He has this really fun smile on his face. And he kind of just looks like, okay... And she accuses me of playing games. Like, he's he kind of admires her. He's kind of proud of her. Like, yeah, okay, if I was on your side, this is exactly the move I would be making. I think this is when he starts to fall in love with Kate. That this kind of tete-a-tete that they're having is, is perfect. Like, this is the kind of shit he enjoys and the kind of stuff that he usually does. So I'm I'm marking this down as point number two where Anthony starts to dig Kate a little bit. I just want to be clear, for me, that was at the sports talk. That's when I started to dig Kate. You know, they, if this was this time and I was looking for a wife and it was it was not uncommon to, like, talk to someone for five minutes and then marry them, I would have proposed to Kate the second she stopped talking about the... the, 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 the second she started talking about the horse stat stuff. And then once her horse won, based on those stats, so like, swoon, I'm in. Just, you know, a Kate, walk into my vault of gold, take it all, and buy whatever ring you want. I just want to mark down when I fell in love with Kate, and that was at the beginning of this episode. And Anthony's, I think, lagging just slightly behind me, but I think we're on a similar pace here. We also finally get, finally, finally, finally get some good parenting from Violet Bridgerton telling this is the kind of parenting that i enjoy this is what i think is good for anthony and I, I just to be clear i am not a parent i don't have my own children but my job is exclusively working with hundreds of children so i'm just very familiar with with children and kind of um how to kind of get the best out of them and how to talk to them and how to approach them and how to bring up certain things with them so i don't want to accuse anyone of poor parenting in real life because i'm not a parent and that's not fair however just for those listening i have a big background of working with kids it's something i'm very 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 um equipped at doing but also 
um, experienced in doing, but also that I, on a daily basis, hundreds of kids. And so it's a lot of different situations that you're put into or you have to talk to kids about their behavior. And Anthony's not a kid. I want to be clear. Anthony's not a kid here. But the, the kind of basis of the parenting and the mentoring and the um, and the teaching of lessons is kind of the same. And I what I don't like it, from Violet Bridgerton is her kind of oblivious approach, where it's like, I'm going to pretend that everything Elo Eloise says she wants is irrelevant, because in the end, it doesn't matter what she wants. She's going to have to find a husband anyway, so I'm just going to ignore all that and keep trying to get her to go to the ball and keep trying to get her to put on the dress. And that's the kind of parenting I don't like. But this... Or she's not trying to lecture Anthony. What she says is like, maybe you should watch your words better, right? They overheard you. Just, everyone knows you don't want this for love. And Edwina is looking for a love match. So you need to at least pretend to be interested in a love match. But separately, there's a lesson for here for you somewhere. But you have to find it. That's what I like about parenting. Hey, Anthony, you fucked this up. There's something here you can fix. There is something in this situation that is not working for you. If it was working for you, you would have got an invite to the soiree tonight and you did not. Where is it? Find it. Go and find the lesson you can learn and change it. And that's what I like, especially because Anthony's like 30 years old. Like, go and find it. Like, I'm not going to baby you. I'm not going to hold your hand. Look at this situation. Find the lesson. Correct it and move on. Oh, great parenting for Mama Bridgerton here. We're at the soiree now, and we get a whole display of stupid men doing stupid things to, <laughs> to impress absolutely nobody, which is the opposite of what they're trying to do. I put in my notes, how on earth is this display a good idea for finding a match? <laughs> because I want, if this were Tinder, I would be I would be paying for Tinder gold, Tinder, whatever Tinder version allows me the undo button and re-swiping left. I'd be like, no, 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 Like, I'm out of here. Like, we're, we're done. I, I matched you before, but I'm going to unmatch now. Now, that's I don't know what version that is, but there's a version of Tinder that lets you do that. And that's what I'd be doing, watching all these people with their dumb magic tricks and their hula hoops and stuff. But then the characters in the show also acknowledge this, and Kate and Eloise are there, and they have a beautiful moment. The first thing they kind of do is say like hey lady danbury was interested just in a poetry reading and these men these dumb dumb stupid dumb stupid fucking dumb men got up here and they're doing this stupid dumb dumb fucking stupid display for absolutely nobody on their own this is their own idea of a good time like this is so dumb and i, I just really enjoyed that but also kate seems to like eloise a little bit and gives her a little bit of credit for for being like she says like hey the fact that you're his relation makes me almost like him a little bit more and then Eloise says let's not let's not let's not give him too much credit credit uh, but also don't hold it against me and I think that's a beautiful moment for endearing Kate to Anthony so we'll see if that that changes anything I doubt it but this one moment with Kate and Eloise was really fun I I enjoyed it a lot but also. I like that the show does this. I hate when shows pretend that the other characters around them don't make sense, right? Or don't exist, sorry. So in this show, you have Kate and Anthony, and they're kind of at it with each other, but they both have families. They both have other people in their entourage, and it's unrealistic that the other people would never interact, that Kate wouldn't ever interact with any of Anthony's siblings, just at how often they end up in the same kind of social events together. It's completely unrealistic that Anthony wouldn't end up talking to Lady Danbury or Mary Sharma or anything like that. And I like that the show includes these scenes, because that's real to me. If you were every single evening for the entire summer at social events with the Bridgerton family of like eight people you would run into more people than just Anthony you would talk to more people than just Anthony that doesn't mean they would soften you up to him at all however it's just realistic and I kind of like that little bit of realism in the social 
it's called the social season. I like to add the realistic social aspect of it. Edwina and this is another one. Edwina and Penelope interacting. Of course they would interact like this. And I, what I liked about this scene is Penelope's wearing the same types of yellow dresses for a while. She gets told she looks like a sunflower in episode one, I believe. But I believe that Edwina was genuinely, genuinely genuine, was being genuine in her compliment of the dress, which I think is just so Edwina. Edwina, it just is awesome. I like Edwina. She's great. She's fantastic. It's no wonder that Anthony's going for her, even just out of out of duty. Like, she just seems to be absolutely perfect. She's awesome. As I was watching this soiree, I believe Benedict and Colin are there. Maybe it's just Colin. However, I was kind of wondering, I wonder how, what are the knock-on effects for Benedict and Colin? For marriage, if Anthony's not marrying, like what is that? I just, I'm just curious as to how this all works. If Anthony doesn't marry, does that mean Benedict and Colin have to be careful on the market to not take up any good options because they're potentially there for Anthony, right? Because again, this is all business to these people, right? Does it limit who Benedict and Colin can marry and who they can find? Because they're both well old enough to be kind of on the market finding a, a wife at this point. Does it also impact them in the sense that if Anthony doesn't marry and have kids, that means Benedict has to do it or Colin has to do it. Uh, so does that impact their potential suitors knowing that their kids could be the, the head of the Bridgerton, Bridgerton household one day? I'm not exactly sure, but they're just fun things to, to think about. Colin and Penelope again have the cutest moment ever. Penelope seems a little bit self-conscious, wants to know uh, about the, the woman that she thinks Colin has found because Colin earlier in the episode had said uh, that he wasn't lonely on his trip. And, and he says, you know, I'd found myself through the letters you sent me and that's why I wasn't lonely. I thought if Penelope can see me this way, I can too. And I just melted into my chair. My heart grew three sizes. It was just, oh. It was so good. And then I had this moment where I'm like, oh, I want them to be together so bad. But she wrote the whistle down pamphlet that messed with Marina. And he's going to have to figure that out at some point. So I know it's probably not going to happen. But I this is my ship, man. I want this to happen so bad. That was ship with a P, by the way, not shit with a T. My ship, like a relationship that I want. Anyways, I don't know if that's a common term in Bridgerton land. But yeah, the ship. The, shit, the relationship that I want to happen is Colin and, and Penelope. And then he says, there's only one Penelope. You are different. You are my friend. You're not just an ordinary woman. I'm swearing off woman, women, but I'm not swearing off my friend Penelope. And the way, the way she says, how good to hear that. It's just like mm, my heart just, my heart grew three sizes and then it broke. What a, what a scene. This is awesome stuff. This is exactly the kind of stuff that's interesting to me when Kate and Anthony aren't on the screen. Man, so good. At the very end, we get a necklace that Lady Cowper has. I put in my notes like, man, this guy's giving out rubies, dude. This is these are this is a pretty necklace. They bring up specifically that it was from Lord Featherington. And he, we know he has these mines that are, I guess, these ruby mines. I don't know if you mine rubies directly or if you mine other things and kind of smelt them into rubies. I'm not a miner. I'm not sure how this works. But man's got rubies and he's putting them in necklaces. And, and that's awesome. And that necklace for the, I think it's just um, Cressida Cowper is beautiful. But also I put in my notes, it's crazy to me. Crazy that Lady Cowper has not found a match yet. She almost got with the prince last season, right? Just, just kind of objectively, she comes from a really wealthy family. She's very attractive, right? She's a little bit snooty and a little bit rude, but not certainly not more unusually rude and snooty than everybody else on the ton is. And it's wild to me that she's like in her second, possibly third season without finding a match when she's clearly like she's 
Lord Featherington has no problem kind of, you know, working things out with her a little bit, giving her necklaces. The prince from last season didn't seem to have a huge problem either. And so it's just weird to me that these are the types of prospects she has, yet she doesn't have a match. It's just, I don't know how this works, but you would think that she would have found a match already. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not mad that she hasn't or anything. I hope she finds the one for her, but it's just weird to me that in this show that Lady Cowper does not, or Cressida Cowper does not have a match yet. Anthony goes to t to take Benedict out of Mondrich's club <laughs> to have, I believe that's where Benedict is. And then it's so funny, tries to have Anthony teach or tries to have Benedict teach him poetry, which is so good. He, and he, he really makes a fool of himself here. He's picked the wrong poet. He's picked Byron and no one likes Byron and he has no idea how to read the poetry. And he knows that the point of this soiree is the poetry. And then Benedict says some really like philosophical shit. Like, it is the art of revealing precious truth with words. And then <laughs> I put, this is like me and my friends arguing about deep dives. Like my friends, all of them, do not give a shit about deep diving into things. They never rewatch anything. They never overthink anything. Most of the things they watch, they watch with their phone on, which just annoys the hell out of me. And here I am watching Bridgerton like twice, three times an episode, taking notes, doing a podcast on it. And it's Bridgerton is not the type of show you would expect people to be doing this for. And so I'm just the opposite to them. I love love diving into things i love rereading things i love going rereading books too oh so good i love going back and, and re-watching things and really getting into these types of stories and talking about them and my friends are the opposite so i kind of related a little bit with benedict uh, here where he's just into this super cool thing that anthony just doesn't understand or is interested in at all and and that would that, that was just a funny little bit of, you know, relatability for me. I also put, there's that speech, I can't remember in which Shakespeare play, or I, can't, I know which one, I just can't remember what it's called, but it's the the Mark Antony speech uh, in, in one of the Julius Caesar plays, and it's the one where he says, it's the one that kind of focuses around Brutus being an honorable man, I believe it's kind of the wake or the funeral of, of Caesar, and there's a lot of really good renditions of it if you just YouTube it, but I put the actor who does Benedict would do a really good Mark Antony speech in that julius caesar play brutus was an honorable man so good so good back at the soiree the the dumb dumb stupid dumb really fucking dumb men have stopped doing the really stupid fucking dumb really stupid things and <laughs> it turns out lord lumley is actually good at poetry so we had good instincts earlier in the episode when i put in my notes hey he's probably pretty good at this uh, <laughs> anthony comes and it's hilarious and looks directly in kate's eyes and says huh, I must have fallen off the guest list. So funny, just such a dig. And then he says, you know, you, we've known each other for nigh on 29 years, Lady Danbury. You wouldn't deny me this moment. And then she kind of hesitates for a second and he and he says, well, neither did your doorman. And then Lady Danbury allows it to happen and Edwina allows it to happen. I just like, hell yeah, Anthony. Like, just so funny that he, he, just, he just runs this, right? Like, he just comes in, he's all confident. He just, he just knows that he can get away with this and that's so funny and it's another moment where kate has underestimated him his power his station what he's going to be able to do you can't keep anthony out of here by just leaving him off the guest list that's not how this works kate and this i like that as a learning moment for her as well anthony pretty much said like yeah 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 these guys are all better at poetry than me but I'm going to try it, but just know words are hollow unless accompanied by action. I think he does okay. I think when he starts reading Benedict's words, he's, he does okay. He admits pretty quickly that he's not a poet. He actually plagiarized this, which is not great, but he, he kind of caught himself before he got too far in it. And so he says like, I, I am not 
I am not good at this. This is not who I am. This is not what I can give you, but I can give you everything else you're looking for. If you're what you're looking for as a poet, that's not me, but I can give you safety and security and money and he doesn't say love because that's the whole point is he's not trying, but he says all the other things. And I, I put in my notes, you can pretty much sum this up as uh, pretty much I'm not a poet, but I fucking rule. Like I'm awesome in every way that isn't poetry. And I, I like that as an approach by him. And I, I like these honest moments with characters and shows where they're like, look, I could pretend to be something I'm not. I could pretend to be this so you could check off one box in a man you're looking for. But what about the other hundred boxes? What if I tick off all those? Does this one really matter? Just a really good speech from Anthony here. I, I don't know if he's learned the lesson yet, but he kind of took what, what his mom said to heart here, found the lesson, found the opportunity. And you know what? He is calling out all these other guys too. Like, hey, look, these guys might all be good poets, but are they gonna are they going to take action on it? Are they going to live up to the things they're saying? And it's an interesting, putting that little bit of doubt in Edwina's head making sure she knows like hey I'm an option I'm here do you really believe that all of these other people are a better option than me just really smart play by Anthony here Edwina goes to talk to Anthony after this clearly went over clearly swooning not swooning in the sense that she falls over but swooning in the 2022 sense like clearly kind of into Anthony now and she 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 was caught up in that speech a little bit here and then Anthony gives this just oh what a look, just this side eye to Kate, like, yeah, I fucking beat you in this one. Like, what are you, come up with something, do it. Like, it's almost like a dare, like, come up with something else, do it. You thought you could leave me off the guest list, do it. I've made up for my horse mishap two minutes ago, and I am here now, and I'm in charge, Kate. Like, get out of here. And Kate just is so rattled. She thought she'd won this she thought that this moment was going to be hers, that Anthony wasn't going to show up. And the worst possible thing happened. Not only did he show up, he kind of won the situation and won Edwina over a little bit. And she goes to leave and she just runs, like she tries to march off and run straight into the server, which uh, in, a, in a cruel twist of fate for her, catches everyone's attention and everyone saw her do that. And then she kind of goes into the side room and just, that look from Anthony was like, was absolutely just, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just completely savage here. And I'm into it, man. Like they're playing the game and this is, this is their, their kind of battle with each other is what makes them attractive as a duo. I think is kind of that they're going to have to overcome this at some point. So I'm, I'm, I'm into this. I also mark this down as when I think Kate is, is kind of in love as well. Uh, maybe at the races a little bit here, but I think she secretly likes the battle. Like she's in it. It's a battle of wills and she wants to win just as much as Anthony does. It's something they have in common is they don't want to lose. Earlier in this episode, Anthony says, I've seen a sore loser, but never a sore winner. And I just, Kate and Anthony both strike me as extremely sore winners as well so i marked this down as the moment where in the moment kate kind of storms out of the room but i also think somewhere deep down somewhere deep down in her heart of hearts she's like that was that was something that was impressive i am impressed by that victory i'm gonna i still need to kick his ass i need to beat him in the next time but that was i, I just marked that down as the point where i think kate kind of looks back and goes like okay I see what we're doing here. In that side room, Lady Danbury and Kate have another really good conversation. All of these kind of side conversations are very well written. Lady Danbury's trying to tell her like, hey, you've made a fool of yourself. And when one is frustrated, you need to try and focus on your own needs, like make yourself happy first. Then you can work on making people, other people happy and looking out for other people. But also, like what I've been trying to say to Kate, this attempt is fruitless. You will not stop Anthony Bridgerton in this way from getting to Edwina. That is not going to happen. So 
you either need to let him in and let him fuck it up yourself, or you need to come up with a different strategy, and that strategy being, like, make yourself happy first, and then tackle Anthony Bridgerton. And I really like that little bit of advice, but also I loved Kate's response, like, I'm aware. Like, Kate is not dumb. Like, that, I really like this character. She's not dumb. She's been beaten here. She's been defeated in this one part of this battle that her and Anthony are having. But she's not dumb. Like, I know I have made a fool of myself. I don't need to hear it from you. I actually had that ha had this happen to me this week. I messed something up at work. It wasn't a catastrophic mistake or something. Um, but it was a mistake that cost quite a bit of money. And it was a mistake that I could have fixed by just paying more attention to some emails I got a couple months back. And I don't need to go into it any more than that specifically, because that doesn't matter. But it was something that I know I fucked up. I could have paid more attention. It just slipped past me. It slipped through my email filters and the flagging system I have and all that. And I messed something up and it cost a lot of money to fix the thing that I messed up. Right. And my boss knew like just the way I kind of dealt with the situation, knew that I knew that I fucked up and didn't say anything. Right. Like he didn't say anything. He didn't get on my case about it. He just let me know. Like, he just let me kind of wallow in it. Like, I just knew, I knew I fucked up. I, I, I knew I messed up. I didn't need to hear it, right? Like, I didn't need someone to tell me that I'd mess it up because I knew I messed up and I knew I needed to, to, to do better the next time. And I reset up things so that the mistake wouldn't happen again. But I just had this this week and I was really appreciative that I didn't get the fucking riot act or whatever because I just didn't need it. Like, I got it. I messed up. Right. Things happen. It's not the worst mistake anyone's ever going to make in their job. It wasn't even in the grand scheme of things, not even a terrible mistake. And when I say a lot of money, it's like in the grand scheme of things, a tiny amount of money, but just a lot of money in this one situational context. And so it's like, yeah, like I just had this moment this week where I was like, look, I don't need to hear it from anybody. I know how badly I messed up. And I don't need to, to hear it. And I, and I didn't have to hear it. And I liked how Kate said that out loud. Because you got to read people. Sometimes people don't need to hear it. Sometimes people know that they messed up and know that they embarrassed themselves. And they don't need someone else to rub it in. And I, and I really love that. And then they have an even better part of this conversation. This scene is that I think the, these penultimate scenes in these episodes in episode one and two have been so incredible. Penn and Eloise in the first episode, Lady Danbury and Kate in this one. Uh, she kind of starts to relate herself to Lady Danbury. Like, I don't need anybody. Look at you. You seem happy. And Lady Danbury is affronted by this. She's like, it is an offense against truth to say you wish to be alone. Like, what a line reading from Lady Danbury here. Absolutely incredible line reading. A lot of the lines, she's kind of milking the lines for her character because it's Bridgerton and she clearly enjoys this role. But this one, she milks for just Im immaculate dramatic effect. An offense against truth to say you wish to be alone. Just, oh man, just such a good line reading here. Um, uh, And then she goes like, I have earned the right to do this, which I... I don't want to get into it right now about what, what's earned and what's unearned and, and, and whether has anyone ever truly earned the right to like lavish themselves in this way with these giant houses and these balls and these gowns and this extraordinary amount of wealth compared to like all the people we know from season one when Lady Featherington takes Marina or like we see the area around the printer shop like has anyone really earned that right compared to how much suffering is happening like 10 blocks down the road from all these people but separate from that within the context of just the ton I get that like, I have earned this I have lived a life Kate I have done things I have seen things I have loved I have lost I have gone through all of it 
to earn the right to do this, to do what I want, when I want, to have these parties, to be buddies with the queen. Like That's all something I have earned, and you have earned none of it. You just showed up here. You fucked it up with Anthony and Edwina. Like, you made a fool of yourself. Like, you need to earn it first, and then you can have it. And one of the things that I always try and, like, a lot of times people will say, like, rules are meant to be broken. You know what I mean? That's a common saying. And that's not really true, but I find in most cases, like, rules are there to be followed until you've earned the right to not follow them. This happens at work all the time, or in a lot of workplaces too, but specifically where I work, there's a lot of rules where I work, right? There's a lot of rules around working with kids. There's a lot of legislation about that. And there's a lot of rules we have at work with a ton of things. And we always overcompensate on the rules. We always have too many rules. Most of, most of, not most of them, some of them are kind of unnecessary and overly strict just to be absolutely sure we're taking care of things properly. And I've worked where I work for about a decade now. I'm very familiar with it. I know what rules I can break and what I can't. I know what the consequences of breaking each rule are. Um, I know why each rule exists, right? I know that some rules, like some rules people want to break because the rule is contextual. Like you can't do this. But the reason you can't do that is because of a separate situation that's just not happening right now. Um, a good example is we have this like, we have this like machine at work that's not complicated to drive, but pretty complicated to drive if you don't know how to do it. But also... But also, you have to know what you're doing because it can be dangerous to use around people because it'll hurt them. It's a giant machine. Think of like a forklift or something, right? And so teaching people how to drive it is one thing, but this thing carries a lot of weight. So whenever we're doing a work, a, a job where you have to carry a bunch of things, you you want to be the one on the machine. There's like 25, 30 people carrying things and one person that's on the machine getting all the things put on it. And, you know, sometimes it's me on the machine, sometimes it's other people, but some people will complain like, hey, why don't I get a turn on the machine? It's like, you have to earn that. It's not that I don't trust you, but I need to know that you're somebody who follows the rules that we have for other things first. Because if I let you on this machine and you fuck it up and you don't understand all of the rules of this, then you will hurt somebody and that somebody will be a child and specifically a stranger's child who they kind of sent to us to keep them safe. And so you need to prove via other places that you are worthy of the trust before you can do that, right? And it's kind of the same thing here, not the same situation, but the same idea is like oftentimes you, you need to follow all the rules until you have a very good understanding about why they exist and what the contextual reason for them was and then you can start breaking them a little bit. And I think that happens everywhere obviously there's a set of rules that you never break all driving is another good one right as a learning driver you have to drive the speed limit you do not know what you are doing you need to practice first and that practice happens at the speed limit right you need to do that right if you are a new or a learning driver in where i am in canada and you are speeding by even one kilometer an hour or like 1.4 miles per hour for you americans out there um you will get pulled over and you will get a ticket once you have your full driver's license you can go 10 kilometers over on the highway if that's the speed of traffic because it's safer to do that the the speed limit exists to set a recommended speed for you to go however if the speed of traffic is 10 kilometers higher than the speed limit it is safer to 
do that in a lot of cases, and you will get away with it a little bit more if you have your full license because you understand, because you've driven a lot, because you understand the rules, why they exist, when it's okay to break them, right? If you go 10 kilometers over in a speed zone, that's a hugely bad thing. You should not do that, but you need experience driving to understand the different situations of the speed limits. And so that's a great example here where Lady Denver is like, look, you can be me one day, but you have to earn it first. You don't just get to do it. You have to earn it. And I, you have to live. You have to love. You have to lose stuff. That'd be a great, like, live, laugh, love. Love, live, lose. I don't know. I don't know what Lady Danbury's, like, pillow would be. But I really like that. That felt so true to life for me. And I think if I brought in Lady Danbury's argument out into the broader of, like, England, I'd completely disagree with it but if i keep it centralized into the ton and in this society I, I really enjoy it a lot and it's a good kind of wake-up call for kate that we'll see what she does with it we end the episode with eloise and penelope eloise is sleuthing again and has figured out like the cardstock feels this way this letter k is a little bit off and penelope <laughs> seems super concerned like poker face penelope poker face you can put a poker face on and then she says like okay we'll see if this letter k is different in whistledown's next issue i'm just loving this as the audience who knows she's lady whistledown she then goes to the market to buy that letter k and i oh she was seen guys guys listening she was seen the modiste was there buying something i don't know but she was seen and then she runs away which makes it look so much more suspicious oh this is so tense we're two episodes in and we are already, we are already seeing a lot of movement and momentum with the Lady Whistledown storyline, which I am enjoying so, so much. We end the episode as well with the queen seeing who has talked to Edwina. The, the butler person comes up. The, I'll call him the chief of staff. Let's give him a rank upgrade here. The chief of staff comes up and gives her all of these notices about who it could be. And in these notices, we have Penelope's in there. Eloise is also in there. I didn't recognize anyone else's face, but I paused it through the second viewing to kind of see if anyone else's face was there. And it wasn't, I don't think. So let me know if I missed anybody. I might go back and check. But the queen is on, could possibly be on to Penelope, might be on to Eloise. So we'll see how this goes through the rest of the season here, but it's interesting to me that the queen uh, is kind of, there's a lot of momentum with this Lady Whistledown storyline, which is great for kind of the secondary plot line to be this far progressed, this cool and this fun uh, in, in episode two, because it makes me not miss Kate and Anthony as much when they're not on the screen. And I think that's it. That was episode two of Bridgerton season two entitled Off to the Races. Don't forget to let me know what you thought about this episode and future episodes so I can do listener feedback stuff. Let me know on Gmail, let's dive deep pod at gmail.com, Twitter at let's dive deep. We have a Patreon that you can join a couple of bucks a month for some bonus content. What a great deal there. We also have a Facebook group that you should join to kind of be up to date with all the latest and greatest let's dive deep stuff, Bridgerton stuff, pop culture stuff. It's all in there. Go and have a, a good time. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you in the next episode where we cover uh, season two, episode three. Uh, I believe it's called a bee in the bonnet, a bee in your bonnet. There's a bee in a bonnet in the next episode and we will cover it all. I got to go and watch it actually to do my instant reaction and take the notes. So make sure you join the Facebook group for my instant reaction. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you in the next one.